Good morning, everybody. What a fun morning we're having. Fun is okay. As a matter of fact, sometimes that's exactly what we need, is just to have fun in God's presence and to... Uh, nothing does that more than kids, I think. Uh, kids have this tender, kind of sincere, genuine faith that re- when it's released, it just kind of brightens up a whole room, and I absolutely love that. God did some amazing things over this past week in the lives of over 250 kids, and I am so appreciative to uh, our two staff, Shannon and Luke, as well as the 100 volunteers that helped with that. Can we just tell them again, thank you for all the time and effort that they... If you're visiting this morning, we're really glad that you're here with us. We're doing something a little bit different this morning in that we are celebrating uh, kids. We're celebrating what God did in this past week. And today what I want to do is just get us to consider what God's goals might be for kids. If you're a parent, your kids. If you're a grandparent, your grandkids. Uh, and if maybe you don't have kids, but you kind of like them. And you're like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm for them. And I want to see God do some good things for them. Well, then you're included. So here, the scripture teaches that if we, being imperfect parents, being sinners, if we have good motives and good intentions and want to give good gifts to our kids... How much more will our perfect heavenly Father give them the Holy Spirit? Give them the goals and the gifts of God's heart. See, I have goals, and you have goals. We have goals for our kids, right? And, and we, want them to, we want them to get a good education. We want them to excel in some activity like sports, we or band or dance or whatever it might be that they're interested in. And so we cart them around to all the various events and the playoffs and the games and the practices and the rehearsals and the after-school events. And we give a lot to our kids because we love them and we want good things for them. And we have goals and we feel like we know what our goals are and we kind of feel like we know how to achieve them. Most of us would say we want our kids to have it better than what we had. We want our kids to have great learning opportunities and, uh, and, and, and so many other things. We want them to be good kids, right? Who smell nice, who act nice, who do good things for others. And so we invest financially in them and we tell them no a lot and we tell them yes a lot. And uh, now those are all good things. But let me hone in just this morning for a little bit of time on what is God's goals. Sometimes I think they line up maybe with ours, but sometimes they might be different. God's goals, his top priorities for investing in his kids. And uh, his goal is this, very simple. I'm going to state it simply. His goal for each kid is to know that they are loved by God, to love him back, and to dedicate their life to his glory. That's his number one goal for our kids. Is that your number one goal for your kids? Because that's God's number one goal. Is that, that every single kid would know his love for them in a personal way, in a real way. 
not just God, some theology, some religion, some church thing that they're drugged to by their ear, but that they are loved by the God of the universe who made them. And then to have that opportunity to love Him back. And that is an opportunity every one of us are given. That opportunity that we have the ability within our will when we recognize and appreciate what God has done for us that we can then love Him back with, by dedicating our life to Him and for His glory. That's it. It's simple, but it's powerful. And if each kid does that, they will stand strong for God throughout their whole life. And they'll overcome the trials that will face them. And they'll develop those talents we care so much about. And they'll excel in the various areas that God has given them gifting in. And they'll walk into their purpose and their destiny. See, all of those things will happen if if they love God and they know God and they know His love for them. Our kids are going to have trials, right? Lots of them. Kids have challenges that far exceed what any of us have have experienced, especially the the quantity of kids. I mean, you might be in the room and go, man, my story stacks up against anybody's, and I have no doubt that you, that, that is true. But when you look at the masses of kids, the generation of kids today, they're, they're, let, me, let me explain a couple things. You probably know this. First of all, kids are stressed out. I mean, really stressed out. We asked kids to tell us what kind of things stress them out. And kids said that they were stressed out mostly by grades, by school, by homework, by family, by friends, by peers, by gossip, and by teasing. Those are a few things. So how do kids deal with their stress? Well, uh, here, are, here are the top three ways uh, do, uh, that came out of the research. One is just by going out and trying to do something active and by playing. Just forget about it, in other words. Another was by listening to music. So if you all wonder why you see kids with the iPod earphones in all the time, they're probably stressed out. Listening to music or watching TV or playing video games. That's the mechanism that most kids use to deal with their stress. Um, 25% who took this particular survey said that what they do with their stress is they try to hurt themselves. They take it out on themselves by banging their heads against something, hitting or biting themselves or doing something else. Crazy. Another thing that kids are dealing with now is they're dealing with depression in, 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 in quantities that we've never seen before. While suicide is more common in the late teen and early adult years, it's the third leading cause of death among 15 to 24-year-olds in the United States. Suicide is also a threat for younger children. In fact, suicide is the fourth leading cause of death in kids between 10 and 14. And in recent years, national news coverage has shown us that even kids as early as seven are attempting suicide. They have challenges. They have trials. We're experiencing something in our culture and our society today. Kids are in their little lives that we never really had to deal with in the magnitude that they are. Kids are interacting with porn like never before. Nathan Haig is an upstanding high school student on his way to becoming an Eagle Scout. He has a high GPA, serves on the student council, swims competitively. But Nathan had a secret that he had kept 
from his family and friends during his early teen years. He suffered from an addiction to internet pornography. This 17-year-old is one of eight children, one of the oldest still living at home, and he said he had the habit of looking at pornography on the internet that started when he was around 12. He's not alone. A University of New Hampshire study reports exposure begins for some as early as seven or eight years old. Of course, pornography isn't new. But it's this quantum leap uh, from a world where pornography was just in some magazines or, uh, you know, on tape. Now it is smartphones, it's iPods, uh, it's computers, and it's hardcore. It's hardcore stuff. One in three 10-year-olds have seen hardcore porn. Four out of five 16-year-olds access porn sites on a regular basis. I mean, what does that mean? Well, it means that we have a whole generation of kids that are going to have a very difficult time in, in, in experiencing and knowing how to experience true intimacy with another person, with their spouse, having sex in a godly way because they're so over-sensualized and overexposed to sexual perversion. Kids also have never been busier. We know this because, uh, you know, we know of some of these dangers I've already outlined. And so we think, man, if we just keep them so stinking busy, they won't have time to access the Internet or watch TV or do any of those things. And so we run them around from thing to thing to thing every single day of the week. And, uh, you know, the, the competition today is so intense for kids. And because really, as a parent, if you want your kid to excel, you almost have to do that, right? To stay up or else you, they won't have the chance in the various activities that they're involved in. And so they're kind of operating at an adult level busyness and competition. Now, let me just stop there. I'm really not trying to bum everyone out. I'm really not. But, but we do have to, we can't stick our head in the sand, right, folks? We, we have to deal with the realities and the facts that are going on and, and the issues that these little kids are dealing with today. In, in waves and in ways that we never really had to. Maybe God has something for them. I believe he does. From God's perspective, what can we do? How can we deal with that? What can they do? And how can they stand strong through their whole life and through all of these various challenges that they're being faced with? First of all, God wants every kid to know and experience his love. His love will help them stand strong through their life. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, says this about God. It says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young." God wants to help us. He wants to intervene. He wants to, be, he wants to be involved in our lives. Matter of fact, it says that he takes the lambs, the little ones, and he holds them close to himself, to his heart. I love that because it reveals to us how important kids are to the very heart of God. They're at the core of his priorities. Kids need to know God's unconditional love for them. 
I mean, they live in this competitive world, this performance-oriented world, and it's so important for kids to stand strong that they know that the greatest gift they could ever experience is just to be loved by God. And we all need that, don't we? We all need that over and over again. I need my mind washed in that, my heart washed in that. I have been walking with God for 30 years, and I have not outgrown that. I still need that in my life because I get intimidated and I get afraid and, I, and I'm not certain where the future's going and I'm, I'm wondering all kinds of things and I need to know that God just loves me. Not based on my good works, not based on my performance, not based on how much I read the Bible or how good I can be to others, but just based on the fact that He created me and He loves me and He died on a cross for me. He has done that for you as well. And every kid needs to know his love. God's love will not make your kids weak. It will not make them just religious goody-two-shoes. God's love will establish them and make them strong. They will be able to withstand pressure. They'll be able to withstand temptation. They'll be able to win out against the challenges. And even if they fall down and make mistakes and blow it, They'll get back up because they know God loves them and he's not there to squash them, but he's there to help them get back up. God's unconditional love helps us stand strong. I love the prayer of Paul, the apostle, in the letter he wrote to the Ephesian church. He said, I pray that Christ will live in your hearts by faith and that your life will be strong in love and be built on love. And I pray that you and all God's holy people will have the power to understand the greatness of Christ's love, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. See, God wants every kid to know his love and then have the opportunity to love him back. He wants to pour his spirit into their lives. Keith and I served for years in kids' ministries uh, at the churches that we belonged to along the way. And a uh, matter of fact, even before we had kids, we served in the nursery, just kind of holding babies. And I was kind of recruited in as a single guy, young guy in my early 20s. Never had touched one of those wiggly little things. And, but, but, this elderly lady put this little kid in my arms and said, oh, you're good at that. We need you. And, and so I just got involved early on, just trying to care for some kids that weren't necessarily my own. And, and then as, as we had our own, we served in different classrooms and at church and helped out. And I loved it because it gave me that opportunity to bond with my own kids spiritually to invest in them while also investing in other people's kids at the same time. We loved working with kids and investing with them. And so many kids coming to church, they need to know God. So many kids coming to this church are stressed out. They're going through challenges. They lead very busy lives. Some of them dealing with depression. Many of them tempted through stuff that uh, is going to hurt them on the internet. I mean, they're just, 
We have an opportunity, church, to invest in our kids, to pour in love and help them really see that God loves them with an unconditional love. And kids are smart. They are smart. And you know that. If you have them, you know it. I mean, they're, they're smart, not just in how to get their own way. They're smart about that for sure. But they're, they're also smart in that they're very perceptive about what is fake and what is real, what is genuine and what is just hypocrisy. Kids are capable of loving God back. They're capable of loving Him back now. And the one, a couple of the simple ways we can teach our kids to love God back is every time they earn any amount of money, we just help them see that the tithe is something that, that they can do. They don't have to wait till they're 30 or 50. Or they, as a 8-year-old, as a 4-year-old, they can begin to give to God. And, and we teach them that it's giving some of their love to God as well. Every time they sing praises to God and open up their heart to Him, every time they pray to God and, and we teach them how to do that, and they're loving God and we're teaching them to love God back. When they serve other people, we're teaching them to love God back. Like uh, was mentioned earlier with Serve Spokane, and often in our Serve Spokane events and giveaways and various things we do within our community, uh, kids are involved. And I love that because uh, for any family, any parent who's bringing their kids along to help in some way, you're teaching your kids. They don't have to go to Africa or go do something in another country. They can do it right here as they get involved in loving and helping hurting people right within our own community. We don't teach them to love God back to earn his favor. We don't teach them to love God back so that they might make it to heaven. We teach them to love God back because God just already loves them extravagantly without any performance on their behalf. He just loves them. And he died on the cross for them. And because of that, we turn around and we say, you know, what what more rational thing could we do for a God like that? And to just love him back. A second thing that will help kids stand strong is that God wants every kid to discover their purpose and to live for him. Discover their purpose and live for him. Proverbs 22.6 says this. Many of you know this passage. Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And that is the most misunderstood Bible passage in the Bible. Many people think that that is a promise. It's not a promise. Many people think if you train up your kid in a good way, a godly way, then as they grow up, even though they might go through a time of rebellion, they'll one day come back to God and know Him and love Him. That's not what that scripture says. Uh, It's not a promise. It's a proverb. And your kids have a free will. And there is no magic formula that will make them love God throughout their whole life. Because some of it is part of their own heart and their own will involved. What that proverb says is train up a child in the way he should go. In the way. And in the Hebrew language, literally, that means in his natural bent. In his natural bent. 
in his giftedness, in his abilities, with her unique personality in the way God created them to go. That verse means help each kid discover their God-given purpose and then to live out that purpose to God's glory. One thing we have to realize is that purpose is not about us, it's about God. It's not about discovering my purpose, but discovering God's purpose for me. Purpose is not just about what we would like to do, it's about what we were created to do from the beginning of time. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, we are God's masterpiece. Wouldn't that be great if every kid understood that? We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I love the story of Dr. Ben Carson. Uh, Some of you may have seen the movie, The Gifted Hands. Uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., I believe, plays the part of this particular person. True story. Dr. Ben Carson became the head of neurosurgery in pediatrics at John Hopkins University at the age of 33, youngest uh, person ever put in at that level um, of position. After successfully separating numerous Siamese twins and continuing to refine the techniques of several complicated surgeries, Dr. Ben Carson became a world-renowned, probably the top neurosurgeon, brain surgeon in the world. And what is unique about Ben Carson was that he was born in 1951, born as a black man, born into poverty, violence, no father to help raise him. His single mother was one of 24 children. She got married at the age of 13, found out her husband was a bigamist, had another family, and she And she only had a third grade education. I mean, it was really tough where they lived to keep her two boys as a single mom out of gangs. But she never adopted the victim's mentality. She was a strong Christian and she prayed often for her kids and prayed for wisdom for herself of what can I do, God, to help my kids fulfill their divine destiny. Well, the first thing God showed her was to begin putting radical limits on the TV. And so they were only allowed to watch two programs per week. And uh, Ben goes on to say he thought that was child abuse when it first happened. She made them go to the public library and check out two books and read two books per week and turn into book reports to her. They didn't know she couldn't read. But they kept turning them in. And she would just get a red marker and do some checking and hand it back to them. Ben went from this place where he was the absolute worst fifth grade student in a year and a half to the top of his class. But he still had a lot of anger inside of him. He had, a, he had this temper that he, he couldn't deal with. Matter of fact, it was so intense. One day he was with a friend hanging out and his friend tried to change the radio station. And so Ben had a knife in his pocket, flipped it out, and went to stab him in the stomach, but hit his belt buckle and snapped the blade off in his hand. They both looked at each other, shocked, and Ben ran out of the room and went back to his house and just broke down crying in the bathroom. He knew something was terribly wrong in his heart. He couldn't control this anger and this rage from his life. 
But in, but in his home, he found a Bible. He began to read that Bible. And as he read that Bible, he came, came across passages that led him into a deeper personal relationship with Jesus Christ and came to believe that God not only saved him, but gave him the power to overcome this temper that he had. He's never again struggled with that kind of temper. See, he came to faith in Christ as a kid. And as he went to church uh, and, and learned more about God, uh, it affected his whole life. Today, Dr. Carson, is act, he's an active participant in his church. He's a national speaker at prayer breakfast. He's addressed more than one president. Carson received the award for greatest public service benefiting the disadvantaged. In 2008, the White House awarded Carson the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest civilian honor. He's been awarded 38 honorary doctorate degrees. They're probably just, you know, like just like playing cards now sitting at his house. But get this. Ben Carson says he was inspired to pursue a career in medicine when he heard stories in church of missionary doctors and their ability to heal people physically, mentally, and spiritually. It was in kids' church that God planted those seeds of divine purpose that stirred a passion in him that he believed that he could do something greater than what his environment was telling him he could do. In his biography, he says, I have come to realize that God does not want to punish us, but rather to fulfill our lives. God created us, loves us, and wants us to realize our potential so that we can be useful to others. I love that. He has a plan for every single person's life, every kid. And as parents and teachers and coaches and mentors, Let's, let's rally to make sure every kid knows that God is real, that God loves them. Jesus died on the cross for them. That it's unconditional love. It cannot be earned. And that's good news. And then that they can love him back and they can discover the purpose that God placed them on this earth that he created for them to do. And we can participate in that. What a holy thing. What a great thing. That kids can experience the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives now. And they can begin to discover their purpose now. And God wants to use them, not just later, but now. I love what God said to the prophet Jeremiah when he was a kid. In Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah then said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only... A youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Jeremiah was called as a youth to speak for God to adults. Most kids I've talked to think they have to wait until they get older in order to be validated, in order to be used by God, in order for other adults to recognize that they have gifting I mean, we see like quarterback gifting right away, don't we? But it's a lot. We have to have our eyes kind of refocused to be able to see spiritual gifting in our kids. And God wants us to see it. That's one of the joys I I, I got 
as I served in various forms in kids' ministry, is being able to see the gifting in kids and be able to spot it early on when you see them and then encourage them in it. Man, you're good at that. Man, I could see how God could use that in your life. Hey, let me give you an opportunity to be used in that particular gift. Many of the great men and women in the Bible we see coming onto the scene at a very early age. Think of Samuel, maybe what, three, four, five years old, and he began to listen to God, and God spoke to him, and God was training him how to hear his voice as a preschooler. Josiah started leading Judah as king at age eight. David slayed Goliath as a teenage boy. And of course, Jesus at age 12 is in the temple talking with and asking questions of the really smart religious leaders and kind of blowing their mind that he understood things. God speaks to children. God uses children and God wants us to help kids see their full potential and to have a heart for them. To have a heart. God, give us a heart for your kids. Mark chapter 10 is this beautiful little quick story of this interaction between the disciples and kids and Jesus. And the disciples, I don't know, maybe they were just getting kind of crotchety, you know, as they got into, you know, their 20s and 30s. I don't know, because they weren't all that old. But they were bringing children to Jesus. Uh, Actually, it was the parents who were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. And the disciples got in their face and rebuked them rebuked him. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, what the heck do you think you're doing? No, he said this, something a little nicer. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And then he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. The disciples got it wrong. They thought Jesus was really important and so important that he would only care about adults. And we think that way sometimes mistakenly that God is more interested in my problems because I have more mature problems. Or God is more interested in this gathering because it's full of adults. Or God's really into missions because it means going over somewhere else. Or God's into men's or women's ministry. And God is into all that stuff. But let's never make the mistake that kids are secondary. Because kids, in the eyes of God, and ministry to them is primary. And he wanted his disciples to know that. See, one of the ancient customs of the Jews was for a a patriarch of the family or for a holy man of God to lay their hands on the head of a kid and impart a spiritual blessing and to declare something good over their life. And, uh, And that's all that people wanted Jesus to do. So he did that. He blessed them. He blessed them. Can you imagine that? Wouldn't that have been cool as a kid? To have the blessing of Jesus and him just put his hands on your head and bless you. Say, I just call all the gifts and callings out of this young kid right now. I guess he wouldn't say in Jesus' name. He'd just say, 
because I said so. Jesus said, don't hinder them. Don't get in their way. Don't set up a bunch of religious hoops to make them jump through. Don't say they're too young. Let them come to me. Every kid needs the personal touch of Jesus. And as a church, we can help them experience that. As a church, we can help Jesus be accessible to them rather than hinder them. And we can help them come to faith in Christ and be filled with his Holy Spirit. He wants to use us, church, to be his hands extended in blessing to the kids. He took them in his arms and he blessed them and laying his hands on them. And to bless means to thank God for them, to speak well, to call on God for protection and aid and to declare good things in their life. You can bless a kid every time you pray for them. Every time you encourage them. Every time you teach them about God's love. You bless them. Every time you empower them and believe in them. And see value in them. And anyone who's ever served in kids ministry. You have blessed kids. And you have blessed the heart of God. We want to help them discover their purpose. And how they can use their life not just to fulfill themselves. That is such a mis- mistake and a misnomer of our culture to think that our destiny and our purpose is all about me figuring out me and then blessing me. No. We walk in the, in the works that God has preordained for us to do for the purpose of blessing others, teaching them that God wants to use them now, that their prayers count right now. Their worship melts the heart of God and they can hear God now, uh, I love how my little niece, when she was eight years old, she had this burden for my dad, which is her grandpa, uh, and because he's had been an atheist and then kind of moved to an agnostic, and she just had this burden, always prayed for him. Finally, she mustered up the strength to go and talk to him. She was going to have a face-to-face with grandpa, and so she gets him in a room. She says, Grandpa, why don't, why don't you believe in God? And he gave, you know, his stock answer and in which, you know, she couldn't logically engage at that level. And she just said, well, Grandpa, it makes me real sad to think you won't be in heaven with me. And that was the end of the conversation. I mean, that has stuck in his mind. Kids are simple but powerful, and God uses them now. God wants every kid to stand strong for Jesus Christ. Because kids are in a spiritual battle. And we can't insulate them or isolate them or make sure they never touch a laptop computer. Not going to work, folks. They have friends that go to school. They have access to technology. Kids are dealing with stress. They're dealing with busy schedules. Many deal with depression or with anger. But God has made a way through His Son, Jesus Christ, to intervene to give them a hope and a future. And we just need to instill the unconditional love in them at the very earliest age that we can and reinforce it over and over again, not just with our words, but with our deeds, with our actions, so they feel and see a congruent message coming out of our lives. We all know enough people who spout the talk but don't live the life. God's called us to be integrated and to live that life 
and to make sure that they get it into their heart. It's going to get down into their soul. It's going to come from you and me. It's going to come from parents partnering with churches. It used to be more more entities within society, but today you're probably not going to you're probably not going to have your kid talked a lot about or they're not going to hear a lot about the love of God in their typical classroom setting or on the football field or even maybe in Boy Scouts because the culture that we live in today is not as friendly to the Christian message as it once was. So if they're going to hear it, if they're going to receive it, if they're going to live it, they're going to get it from you and me and they're going to get it from churches like this. See, what we're trying to do as a church is just help kids stand strong through their life. We're just trying to help them know the love of God and, and, and discover their God-given purpose and fulfill their God-given potential. Will you help us do that? We, we need your help. We minister to probably 150 to 200 kids every weekend, and uh, we, we, we need an, about another 50 people who would say, I want to help out. I don't know how I can help, but I want to help out in some way to bless the kids and we can strengthen them. Let me close with this verse found in Ephesians because this verse tells us about the uniform that, that, that every kid has been issued. Every one of us have been issued this particular uniform called the armor of God. Put on the full armor of God so that you can fight against the devil's evil tricks. Our fight is not against people on earth, but against the rulers and authorities and the powers of this world's darkness, against spiritual powers of evil in the heavenly world. In other words, there is a spiritual battle going on. And our kids are feeling it. That is why it says in verse 13, you need to put on God's full armor. Then on the day of evil, you will be able to stand strong. And when you have finished the whole fight, you will still be standing. In other words, standing strong through your whole life, living for God's glory. That's what we need for ourselves, and that's what we want for our kids. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your love, that unconditional love. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it, but you've given it to us because you gave us your son, Jesus Christ, who through his death made a way, through his death on the cross, paid the penalty of all my wrongdoing. And through his death on the cross, we now have this new covenant in your blood, this new friendship with God. Lord, we pray for every kid that we interact with in our life. You will help us be your arms extended around them, to bless them, to love them, to speak blessing and encouragement and good declarations into their life. Give us eyes of faith to see, to encourage, and to live the life that others might want to follow, to live the life that our kids and 
whether it's kids that we serve in kids' church with or coach or teach or kids in our neighborhood or family, nieces, cousins. Lord, I pray that we would be Jesus for those kids, that they would stand strong for you throughout their life. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.